Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I am one half of the host of this show, Bill Real, and... I'm Mikkel Jones. There we go. So, Mikkel, you said you're tired. What uh, did you do last night? I stayed up way too late and acted like I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, we've said this before. Just going to going to a party as an adult who's left a left a cult, you have to kind of like almost do the college years all over again <laughs> for the first time, right? Like you and I didn't really do this adult thing where you hang out with cool people and have a few drinks and laugh and dance, and we we just didn't do that. So here we are. We're forty years old. And we're like we're like really cool twenty two year olds. I I mean I think I'm cool. My body tells me I'm not. <laughs> Your body it took a beating last night, right? <laughs> More ways than one. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, that's <laughs> like, gonna that's gonna not, take an explanation. Not just the alcohol, but I'm so out of shape, and so my my muscles are I can barely move. Yeah, there were times I was dancing, and. You know, somebody's like, oh, Bill, really? Look at your dancing. It's so cool. And in my head, I'm like, no way. I'm barely standing up. Like, I can't even, I can't even do dancing and <laughs> drinking at the same time without almost falling over. <laughs> so I had a lot to drink. I probably drank. Maybe we could talk a little bit about drinking today. So I, I, had, I had to drink probably like four, oh, they're like wine cooler beers. It was like a seltzer or something with, uh, with lime in it. Yeah. Bitch beers. There you go. Yeah, we call those bitch beers. And uh, I had a uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade, a black cherry. Um, I had a couple other things. And then there was a guy there uh, who kept giving me shots. And so I had three shots <laughs> last of night, what? too. What? Oh, I have no idea. But one of them was the, I think, glazed donut vodka. Ooh. And uh, it wasn't too bad. Um, it didn't taste like a glazed donut, that's for sure. <laughs> so I want to talk, maybe let's do that for a minute. Just talk about drinking. Um how have you navigated that? And then I'd love to share maybe some of my thoughts on how I've navigated it. As adults, and I started drinking when I was 12, and then I stopped at 17 when I when I joined uh, the religion. And, and, th- and then I essentially left that religion maybe, you know, uh, three years ago mentally and started to pick up drinking again. Um, and you, I don't know that you ever drank ever until you, until you deconstructed your faith, right? Right. So talk a little bit about getting into this thing called alcohol. <laughs> um, I was really scared at first, to be honest, because I didn't want to be one of those crazy drunk people. And so my first drink was a hot toddy that I that Kelsey made me when I was sick. Um, and I, I drank it and I was like, oh, this isn't too bad. You know, it didn't taste terrible. And then as um, I started interacting with other people and new friends and getting invited to, you know, go out to dinner or come over to somebody's house or whatever. There were drinks there. And I still was super cautious, one, because I'd seen other people get really wasted and um, pass out or um, 
get sick and I, I didn't want any of that. And then, um, so I still just overly cautious, didn't, you know, didn't take very many drinks. And then, um, when Kelsey and I almost broke up, I got sloshed. <laughs> you had, I think you remember think that. You night, broke, no? Yeah. I think you broke world records on how much you drank that night. Um, probably not, but <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot. And I didn't care, and I got really sick, and I don't remember much of the night. And so it's been this process of, of like trying to figure out where the line is. How many, how many drinks can I have before I'm completely inebriated and I can't remember the night? And how many drinks can I have to where I feel really good and relaxed and um, having a great time? And I've even I've even tried to see can I not have anything to drink and go to a party and have a great time, and I can I I, I like both I like not drinking anything and going to a party or interacting with people, but I also really like how alcohol makes me feel until I wake up the next morning. Yeah, we have this thing I, I keep saying alcohol is not your friend. It's not. No, it, and it feels great that night. It like it like puts its arm around you and it says like let's party let's have some fun you and me. And you're like enjoying your friendship with alcohol, and then you get up in the morning, and then alcohol's like, ha ha, bitch, I just played you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so the same kind of thing. I mean, having started drinking at 12, uh, I had plenty of times where I got too crazy, or I drank way too much, and I was sick and throwing up. I remember one particular time, I'm at my cousin's house, and uh, his parents were out of town. We threw a big party. Uh, so our friends are over. We had uh, some boys and girls over that we didn't even know. And, and the party was just a blast. And at the end of the night, I'm just, I'm, I'm gone. I cannot function. I'm, I can't even tell my body what to do. I, I go lay down in bed and I tell my friends, I'm going to throw up, I'm going to throw up. And so my best friend, Carlos, he brings me uh, a trash can and uh, I grab the trash can with both hands, one on each side. And, but rather than throw up in the trash can, I then move the trash can one foot over to the right and then throw up on the floor. <laughs> Like, that's what my brain said was the right thing to do. Um, and so as a kid, I had those chances to kind of have too much and to kind of ruin my night a little bit. And and so now doing it as an adult, it I've really not had a bad night yet in terms of getting too, drinking too much. Um, but like, like you're saying, when I wake up in the morning sometimes, um, I recognize like, oh, yeah, I probably could have drank a little less and feel a little better today. You and I haven't recorded much lately. I know. What the hell, Bill? Well, I've been out of town for two of the weekends. So the so over the last month, you've been gone I've, longer than that. Well, well, no. I mean, I went to Phoenix, Arizona, to watch a Browns game with my dad and my brother, and then I was in Ohio with my mom passing. And so I think over the course of the last four weeks, maybe five weeks, um, I have been out of town for two of those, and then in town, I think for three of them. If I'm not mistaken, but but you know, now that I say that, I might have missed. I think uh, two missed, Sundays with yeah, my I think being missed, in Ohio. Yeah, two with your mom and then one with the Browns. And so people heard the episode. I talk about my mom's passing. Um, you know, that's that, that's been hard, but it's it's been a strange thought. Like when my grandparents passed, I I was sad. Like I like oh my grandma passed or oh my grandpa passed, and I was sad. And you kind of think like oh when mom and, mom or dad pass, it'll be like that. And when my mom passed, it wasn't like that. It was something different. I didn't feel like I lost a a piece of me with my grandparents. Like I like life's going to go on, and I'm not going to be able to go see them anymore. 
but my life is essentially going on just as it did before they passed. And my mom's been different things to me at different uh, time frames in my life. She was something to me when I was a kid growing up in our home. Uh, she was something else to me when I was a young adult. She was something else to me when I was an older adult. But you kind of hang on to, and there's those chimes again, you can kind of hang on to the idea that whatever your best moment, whatever my best moment was with my mom, I could hang on to kind of still being connected to that as long as she was alive. Like we're going over there for Thanksgiving or for Christmas when we lived back in Ohio. And it was way different than when I was a kid. And yet I was able to kind of hang on to part of what it was when it was a kid. And then when she passed, uh, Mikkel, it was like, it was like you had to let go of of your past like you, not like your past was no longer in any way connected to you like there was a there was a rope there and it just got severed and you never get to go back to it and so from now on from that point forward even though it already was different you're now extremely aware that it's different than it than it will it's it will be different now than it was ever then like it's it's changed and it's changed forever and you're you're intimately aware of that um, but most of the time I'm dealing with it pretty well. And then sometimes it's like, like you're in a giant hole and there's no way to get out. And even if you got out, the world's, the world doesn't look the same. Um, I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. So that was, that was the one thing. And, and for listeners, they can go back and listen to the episode I recorded kind of to talk about that and process that. My main thing there was just, I wanted people to see how ugly this dying process can be and that we on this side of life, those of us who are almost awakened, that we can be a force for good for speaking up and, and hopefully changing this world uh, to better reflect ways that we can handle those we love who are who are dying. Um, what's been going on in your life over the last month? Same old, same old. Nothing too exciting. What are you? What are you and Kels working on? What is what is the big thing that's uh, that's kind of cramping your guys' style, besides kids, by the way. What's the big thing cramping your guys' style right now? Yeah, Kelsey's reading um, a book, and she's been loving it. I haven't started it yet. I think, let me see if I can find it really quick. I think it's How to Unfuck Yourself. Is that a book? Uh, I know my wife read a book titled Unfuck Yourself. Um, I'm pulling up my yeah, please. I'd Audible right love now. love to so hear what you guys just, are, yeah, what she's how, reading um, and what you're about ready to read. She's reading Unfuck Yourself. I haven't read anything in a long time um, because I, I ha- my job is different right now. And so I don't have a commute that's more than like eight minutes long. And so it's hard for me to get into a book. Um, but I need to. I need to get back into um, listening or reading something. Um, but what I'm, what I'm working on is I just keep noticing, Bill, that I'm not as nice of a human being as I think I am. I It's so interesting that um, I still somehow find ways to exclude people that are different than me. And I, I don't like that. I don't like that, whether that's intentional or unintentional. And oftentimes it's unintentional. Um, but seeing that I still do that really bugs me. We're all doing it though, right? Like there are, you know, 8 billion people on this planet and, you you are excluding some some you can't help right because they they live geographically at some distance that makes it impossible to even know they exist right um other people are deeply uh fanatical in their their religion or their politics and it doesn't interest you 
other people uh, don't like the same activities. They prefer to listen to the music you don't or the or eat the kinds of foods you don't want to be eating. And so you're just not going to be in those spaces with those people. And And it's all in a way unintentional. And in a way, some of it's intentional. Like we all, we've talked about this before. We all get to pick the spaces we're in and others will prefer to be in other kinds of spaces and wherever it overlaps where there's a chance to share that space. And the more similarities we have with the person next to us, the more overlap there is, the more uh, opportunity there is to be in their space. And when, when that overlap is small, whatever those reasons are, then exclusion is going to naturally happen. But, but I get it like it, no one wants to be excluded and no one wants to be seen as an excluder. And yet we're all doing it every single day. I know. I know. And so I'm just one, how do you be okay with it? Um, because I know how it feels to be on the other side, to be the one being excluded. And, and I hate feeling that way, but I also um, know that people have the right to invite or not invite and um, whoever they want. But at the same time, I think the intention behind it um, matters, if that makes sense. Like the intention behind not inviting someone, if it's if it's out of malice or hate, then I think that matters more than if you just don't get along that great. Yeah. In fact, I came over to your house, well, how long ago was it? Maybe three weeks ago? And was just trying to have a conversation with you where I was, I usually am not emotional about this kind of stuff. I'm usually not, I'm pretty level-headed and I'm and I kind of accept like however life is right now that's just the way it is and we deal with it and uh, I just gotten back from my mom's whole situation and I just felt like there was some distance growing between you and I and uh, and I came over Amanda and I came over and we're sitting with you and Kelsey and just just having a conversation about like I feel this distance and I don't want it like I love you and care about you Amanda and I love you and Kelsey we care about you we want we want these relationships to thrive for for decades if if we can nourish them and, and keep them strong. And so I'm sitting with you and I'm just saying like, hey, there's this distance and I don't know what it is, but I'm, it scares me and I'm it hurts. And I, I've, I've been pretty emotional the last few days kind of thinking about it um, because I want you in my life. And so as we sat and hashed that out, I mean, you're, you're talking on your side of that conversation and saying like, yeah, like there are some things going on both between us and as well as just around our environment as we share space and those things have put some little bit of tension there and it, it has caused a little bit of distance. And then there we are again, trying to work on that and get rid of it and, and get back to where we were, but, but you never really can get back to where you were because it's always moving, shifting, changing new people come into your life. Old people leave your life. Like it never is the same. And so you try to recapture the, the magic of these relationships you have with people and yet, to some extent, you can never exactly get what you had. So now you have to create something different that has the same feel or the same vibe or the same the same good times to it. Um, and it, it's, man, it's just such a, being human is so fucking messy. It is so fucking messy. But what I love about you and Amanda, Bill, is you, you will um, have a conversation with us about things that are messy and, and complicated and maybe not going the best. And and I think vice versa, we've we've had several conversations about this is what I see going on or this is what I'm feeling and how how do we navigate this and how do we come out on the other side still being friends and still um, you know, working on 
our, our own individual shit, but how can we work on the shit with, that's happening within the relationship? And I, I love that. I love interacting with people that are willing to do that. Yeah, it it really is the it's the work of this side of life is to just be honest and open and as transparent as you can. Yeah, and I think it's like part of being a grown up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is Kelsey liking the book? She's loving it. Yeah, Amanda loved it too, and Amanda felt like it was uh, it was a, a you know if she names like these the big five books she's read in the last whatever it is three years. This is one of them. She really loved it. And she listened to most of it on a drive. I think it was to Vegas and back. And so she got about four hours of listening in and she just loved the book. And it, it did a lot. It did a lot to kind of help her realize like we all have this shit. Um, we have good friends, the Hershey's, and we were eating dinner with them last night. And uh, Paul uh, was talking about the untethered soul, which I think you read. I didn't. I you couldn't didn't. get into it. Oh, I, I read gotcha. part of it. Okay. Well, I know Amanda and I read it. I thought it was you that recommended it to me, but there's a conversation in there about the roommate and the roommate is just fucking things up. And the roommate is our ego inside of us. It's that shadow. And the ego is always trying to protect itself. It's always trying to protect the way it wants relationships to be. And it doesn't let you, your healthiest self, it doesn't let you run your own life. It tries to intervene at every single turn. And uh, we were just talking about the untethered soul in that book and how helpful it was to them. Uh, they both really loved it and enjoyed it. Um, you know, talking to uh, Amanda about uh, both The Untethered Soul and Unfuck Yourself, those books were were big for her. The one I'm reading right now, Mikkel, and I recommend this, by the way, it, it seems like this is a subject we talk about a lot on this podcast, and I, I hope we get off into a thousand other things and, and continue to revisit this. But the idea of sex, uh, I was listening to a podcast, and somebody recommended Sex at Dawn. And the book is about how sex evolved going back thousands and thousands and thousands of years to the present day, like how we developed societies with certain sexual dynamics and why they were developed that way. And then it went into lots of the primate species, the orangutans, the chimpanzees, the gorillas, uh, the bonobos, uh, all of these these different uh, primate families and how they practice sexual dynamics within their own culture. And it seems strange to refer to an animal having a culture, but they do. Bonobos have sex with everybody. Um, we always have this joke in our group, like it's us and the bonobos. And it's just <laughs> making a joke about how the bonobos are the, the ones who have this sexual urge within them. And they actually go out and carry it out. They're having sex with all of, all of each other. And there's no violence in this society. And I mean, no violence. There's not a single recorded instance of bonobos uh, fighting each other or hurting each other. And there's also another, and I can't remember what the other primate species was, but they have absolute monogamy. They pick one partner and they stay with that partner for all forever and ever. And they also have no violence among them. And then all the rest of the primate families are... You know, they have a partner or they, or like if it's the gorillas, the great apes, they, they have a, uh, like a harem. So the, the silverback gorilla has, you know, three or four or five females. And then all the, all the other boys, males who cannot, uh, challenge him, cannot have no chance to challenge him. They just, they're out, they're gone. They, they have to go find some other place. And, um, with the, with the gorillas, as well as some of the other chimpanzees and the orangutans, 
there is violence among their group. And, and this book just went into like, what works best? What doesn't work? Why in Western culture are we monogamous? Let me tell you about other cultures where they're not monogamous. And they talk about, I didn't know this, I didn't know this existed. There are dozens of these tribes that we have good information on about how they operate. And they operate their societies so different. One that stuck out was they allow their children to like, it, like it's just permissible in their culture for the children to have sex with each other. And I don't mean children like young, young, but I mean like 12, 14, 16 at that age, they're essentially free to go have sex with whoever they want. And there is special uh, places set aside where they can meet up with others and go have sex. And it's completely aside from their parents being involved. And then, Interesting. and they teach these, they teach these people, they say, don't, don't settle down. Don't, find one person. And then there are other cultures where when they get married, there's a, a wedding ritual where the brother-in-law of the, of the wife, I don't know how they, how they framed it, but it was, it was a relative comes in and these two people lay on a mat, the, the people getting married, they lay on a mat like um, opposite each other. So one's feet is by the other one's head and one's head by the other one's feet. And, and this family member comes in and lays down next to them and then tells them that they need to love each other until their last breath but they also need to not be jealous of each other's lovers. And so they, there's this space in this culture that you're allowed to have uh, extramarital relationships, but, but you still need to be dedicated and loyal and have integrity to this one relationship. And, and essentially they go through hundreds of these kinds of societies that have built their worlds different ways. And here I am in, in this Western ideology and I, Thought, I thought inside me like, oh, this is how the whole world does it. The whole world teaches that we're expected to be with one partner and we're expected to do this and we're expected to do that. And I don't want the audience to get the wrong idea. Um, Dan Savage coined the term uh, monogamish. Have you heard that before? I haven't. So Dan Savage talks about the word monogamish and he essentially says like, there's lots of ways that people can live out their lives. And one form of non-monogamy is this is this idea that you can have like these really soft light relationships you're just kind of dipping your toes in the water of non-monogamy use the term monogamish and what he means by monogamish is that you're you're in monogamy you are in with one partner but there is room in your relationship with your one partner to have some forms of intimacy and connection outside of that relationship and for some it's they have the ability to go have sex with someone else every once in a while. But I, I like the term. I worry that like a listener is going to go like, oh my gosh, Bill Real sleeping with other people. And just to set the record straight, I've never, ever had sex with anyone besides my wife. Um, I, I didn't even have sex before we got married with somebody else. And so, but for me, the term monogamish means, and I liked it. I like the term. I'm with my wife. I'm, I'm married to her. I want to be with her until my last breath. We get along great. We... We fill each other in ways that I can't imagine anybody else would be able to. But I like the space to be able to connect with other people. At the party last night, I'm sitting and I'm holding hands with, uh, with a person to my left and just having a beautiful conversation. And it was, there was an intimacy there. And yet, in no way do I want to have sex with that person. And then somebody else came and sat down on my right and I put my arm around them and I was running my fingers through their hair and rubbing their ear a little bit and rubbing the back of their neck. And again, I don't want to have sex with that person. 
but I enjoy and my wife enjoy this the opportunity to sit with others in this space of intimacy and maybe even a little bit of sensuality without there being sex. And what's helped all of this, I say all that I, to get to this point to say, reading things like Sex at Dawn, reading things like The Ethical Slut, or I think the other one was State of Affairs by Esther Pearl, reading those books helped me understand that that there's not that the way we built this world maybe wasn't the best way in terms of individuals actually going out and being happy and fulfilled and having affirmation that we built it this way so that groups could perpetuate so that societies could maintain control of the masses. And, and now I'm learning like, Oh, we didn't have to do it this way. We could do it something different and lots of places all over the world. They are. It's interesting, isn't it? It is. What are your thoughts there? Um, I'm not letting you off the hook. (laughs) I, I, it is, it's interesting to me because, um, like you, you know, growing up this, this construct was the only thing that I'd ever known and, and ever been taught. And so to, to see and to learn about, um, cultures and societies that have functioned differently, um, it's fascinating. It makes me want to know more. And it, for me, it makes me start questioning my beliefs, not because, you know, I want to go out and have sex with tons of different people, but because I think it's important to understand why you believe what you believe and to make a conscious decision to um, continue to believe that. But I think that it's really important at the same time to keep an open mind because your belief may not be the most correct, for lack of a better term, or the like the best to see that there are other ways to function um, that work, I think is pretty fascinating. Yeah. And there's so much judgment when, when we're stuck in a certain perspective or system to think anybody who does it differently is doing it wrong. Right. There, man, I, I can't pull it out of my head right now, but there was tons of data in the book about lesbian women, gay men, straight women, straight men, bisexual, bisexuality. They, they said essentially the, the higher the sex drive a woman has, and again, this is the idea that we all come to be the way we are and that the way we are is different than everyone else around us. And we also, again, have similarities and overlap. And that the higher a sex drive a female has, the more likely she has some degree of bisexuality to her. Interesting. And this, and this went for lesbians, although lesbians operate more like heterosexual men. And this went for gay men as well, um, although they operate also more like um, heterosexual men in that they are often more polarized. So yeah. for a woman who is who who is a lesbian she's a little less prone to bisexuality. Like a heterosexual man is usually either gay or either heterosexual with some room on the spectrum for, for a small segment of people to be somewhere in between. But, but for lots of women, I can't remember what the percentage was, 60% or something of women report being some degree of bisexual, having uh, attraction that, towards both genders. Yeah, that does not surprise me at all. Yeah. And so the more the higher the sex drive, the more likely they are that they that a heterosexual woman also has an interest uh, in females. And there are there are a thousand evolutionary mechanisms at place and the thing that the book was really hitting on was this idea of look, we built society this way, we did it because it perpetuated society, it gave control to the system over the masses. But that 
but that women really are very different from men. Again, generally, I'm not saying specifically and, and not as a stereotype, but just generally or collectively. And women need, the, because we're going back all the way, like whoever put sperm in them and had a baby, they needed that sperm donor to hang around and help them raise the child. And so over thousands and thousands and thousands of years of it being better for the child if the dad was around and the baby survived more often and over thousands and thousands of years of evolution, that suddenly becomes something that evolution places in our mechanisms to, to uh, create that same uh, result. So over thousands of years, it essentially allowed that, you know, every woman suddenly has this urge within her to find the best provider even if he's not the best looking, like women will go after to some degree wealth and stability over good looks and great personality. And that's evolutionarily programmed within them. Men, on the other hand, to perpetuate the species, their best bet is to just dump sperm all over the place, right? And <laughs> and so men have this, this propensity to just want to have sex everywhere and to perpetuate their species. And so here are men and women just butting heads and it's the reason there's this tension uh, in relationships where, where one side wants to be a little more adventuresome and exploratory, and the other side wants more stability and consistency. And, and it's just fucked up because us humans then put stories around all of that because the other primates are doing it too. But within our species, we've now assigned stories and narratives to it, and it just complicates things. Plus, we're a more sentient species and so we have all these extra mechanisms of how we think. And so here we are every day, just kind of a, a being abrasive to the people we love in everything we do with sexuality being kind of the, the most abrasive topic of all of them. Well, in my next life, I think I'll just come back as a bonobo. Bono yeah, see, if bonobos, yeah. <laughs> bono female bonobos, by the way, they love the missionary position. And they make uh, long gazes of eye contact when they're getting ready to have sex. Uh, the male bonobos like to do it doggy style. So just, just a little couple of facts there for our listeners. Um, what else are you thinking about? What else are you, are you interested in? What do we, what do we want to, where do you want to go next? Kind of like maybe with interviews or things that are going on in the podcast, like what else is going on in your life? Yeah. So I was talking to somebody last night who, um, had a recommendation for, um, someone to, to be interviewed. And so they're going to reach out and kind of check with this other person to see how they feel. It's someone who does um, EMDR, which is a rapid eye movement desensitization. Um, it works really well for PTSD and other trauma. And um, so I think that that would be really cool. Um, and then I, I don't know, I'm, I'm open to suggestions, Bill, what are you thinking? So I've got a friend, um, who wrote a book about like rational thinking, like how to be more rational, how to be more logical and, oh. and not to, not to be swayed by when, you know, when someone says like, Oh, there was a, there was a, a knocking noise on the roof of the home. It must be aliens. And then you walk outside and you see a shooting star and you're like, yep, that was the alien ship. Like right. all of us do that kind of thing at times when we're trying to defend a belief. But most of the time in our life, we figure out like what's the most rational answer to us, which answer requires the least amount of conjecture. And that's the answer we go with. And um, 
we've had com- I've had conversations with him before, but I'd like to have him on and just help the listeners see like, look, you do it most of the time. Now on these few things where it feels really personal and connected to your identity, you tend to be less rational. And then to have a conversation maybe where people can begin to walk away going like, oh, he's right. Like, let me start thinking about these things the same way I do about the rest of my life. And then we can all kind of start going where the facts go and being more rational about what is right and what is wrong or what's responsible, what's irresponsible, what's true, what isn't true. Um, Anyway, that's one of the things I'm kind of thinking about kind of uh, doing here in the next few weeks. Cool. That would be interesting. That would be really interesting. I saved a baby. I'm kind of a hero. I, I saw that. Like, national news, Bill. Uh, yeah, it, it was pretty big. Um, I'm still waiting for, like, the CBS interview. Well, today show. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, I'm waiting for Ellen. I'm holding out for Ellen. Oh, I told, her, I told everybody amazing. else no. And uh, I was interviewed on A&E for a program, I think it's called First Call Responders. CNN interviewed me. Um, ABC, wow. NBC, all of those places. It went national. It was in Croatia. It was in what? Finland. No, seriously, Croatia, Finland. <laughs> Uh, Chicago, Detroit. Uh, it was all over our country. It was, and it was just crazy. A, a couple ladies came in with an infant that was probably four to seven months old, just barely able to sit up. They put it up on our counter. Then they kind of ignored it. And I was coming from the front of the store towards where they were. I was about maybe 10 or 12 foot away. And I suddenly saw this baby. I could see it was unstable and I could see she wasn't paying attention. And within like an eighth of a second, I just made a decision in my head, like, I'm going to head that way. And so I started running towards the, the counter, and then the baby actually did topple over, going headfirst towards our concrete floor. And I got there just in time. I like got down like on my knees almost and just kind of swooped the baby up. And then I held on to the child for a couple of seconds, Mikkel, because I didn't want to give it back. And hey. I was pretty shaken up. And I was in my head, literally in my head going like, I don't want to give you back to these people because they obviously aren't watching you closely. And I'm worried about what the rest of your life looks like. Right. Um, and, but it worked out. We, we, you know, the baby was okay. And for now, uh, yeah. And then the, these folks ended up leaving the store and, uh, and who knows what happened to the baby after that. It's crazy. But yeah, that it was so national. crazy. Um, people, and again, I'm joking about the hero thing. People are like, ah, don't you feel like a hero? And I'm like, nah, heroes go into burning buildings. Heroes <laughs> jump in front of trains. I didn't Save put anything at risk. Off. Yeah. I didn't put anything at risk. I think to be a hero, you have to risk something. And all I did was just run for two seconds. Um, it just, it just worked out. I got there in the right amount of time. It was certainly a cool looking video, but it, all of us would have done it. Some of us would have gotten there sooner. And if you get there a half a second sooner, then there's not, not, even a, not even a story. The kid's still on the counter. Yeah. And if you get there a half a second later, it's a whole nother kind of story. So not, yeah, um, not a good one. Just lucky. Just lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Um, anything else? What else are you thinking? Um, I don't know. I don't have a lot in my brain right now. Yeah. And, and part of that, I think, is just due to all that we did last night. I, <laughs> I had these things from the, you know, the baby and the the uh, my mom passing and stuff like that the book i was reading uh, that were on my mind but yeah outside of those things like i just life is good i'm enjoying it um i'm having fun i love my friends and uh, just having a blast uh so you have any ideas so i'm gonna put you in charge of next week you have any ideas next week do you want to try to put this interview together um yeah i'll i'll see what i can do to get it um put together and i'll let you know otherwise yeah i'll plan on being in charge i have no idea what we're talking about yet but i will keep you posted cool um closing song today you have any ideas is there some Um, song maybe you're listening to new song no 
Like, I, I really have not done anything since you've been gone. Well, I'll take the credit for that. Without <laughs> me around, like, you know, life just isn't as interesting. It's, it's true, Bill. <laughs> I get, I'm, I'm just brain dead, oh, so. Let me, let me see. I think I did hear one yesterday, which was super funny because I was at work and um, there's this gal that's like 20 and um, she, was, she listens to reggae and I was like, what? Somebody else? Reggae is the most awesome music in the world. Oh, I'm, I'm loving it more and more. Yeah, me too. We didn't like, I, I didn't even really know reggae, and I certainly didn't think I liked it, and I didn't right? listen to it. And then we have this friend, Chris Finnegan, who is just adamant. He's like, look, reggae's awesome, and I'm going to play it a lot, and you're going to fall in love with it. And you're like, ah, probably not, but we'll give it a shot. <laughs> and then within like a few weeks of hanging out with him and listening to reggae music, you realize like... Like, you used to think reggae was just a bunch of marijuana users, right. cannabis users, singing about their use of cannabis. And what I've come to believe is that the reggae crowd, the reggae genre collectively, they're, they're almost awakened, and they've got it figured out how we can all be better to each other. Oh, yeah. I agree. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes. Make a donation to keep this podcast running. Email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.